I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. Today's guest is artist Val Denham, giving her paper, Proclaim Present Time Over, at the Psychoanalysis Art and the Occult Conference. From London, 2016, William Burroughs' short piece in a paperback book called The Award Avant-Garde Reader, published 1965. I don't feel too much guilt about stealing such a great title because Uncle Bill stole it from Brian Geisen, who in turn probably stole it from me in the future. <laughs> now, please do bear with me. Some of what I am about to say will not immediately make sense. But keep listening and I'll explain soon why I've written like this at the beginning of my piece. So, what does proclaim present time over mean? Well, I'm not certain, but for me it means to continually state this moment is now. To awake from the dream for a second and realise that one is dreaming. We are all dreaming all the time not just in sleep, but even when awake. We cannot keep continual awareness of the present because it moves too fast. Time, as part of the fourth dimension space-time, is travelling at 186,000 miles per hour, or the speed of, of light. We are hurtling very fast towards our death. The instant we grasp the notion of this is now, it is gone, over and already in the past. So we cope with this enigma of speeding time by dreaming, 24 hours a day. I am not here. Neither are you. We are atoms, molecules, each the size of a cathedral held in place by electrons flying around protons and neutrons at the speed of light. Stardust from the Big Bang. Art does not exist, it is merely God dreaming. Proto-deist poetry embalmed in subatomic structures as divine alchemical recordings. Inanimate objects lost in time and space. Does a chair think? Can a table love? Does a carpet feel sad? Perhaps consciousness could be a form of DNA circuit board inherent in the unknown soul of art the richest soul implantations that ask the question, is art alive? Art does not exist. Cassette recordings lying dormant as soul maps in paintings that only communicate when viewed in the past or in the future, there is no present. The universe itself is so eager to be known. The evolution of the species since the Big Bang that one day we'll ask questions, such as, what is the universe? Why are we here? 
Dark energy exploding out from the singularity of the Big Bang as gravitational suspended invisible spider webs hold and pull the universe into order. Consciousness is an energy that must remain in the universe until the Big Crunch. Dark consciousness as a constant energy, dark love and dark hate. May the force be with you, may not be as silly as we imagined. Nothing is stationary because all atoms are forever dancing. Perhaps inanimate objects retain a memory. Art is haunted. Art has a soul. In these rational, atheist times of logic and science, why do we need to demolish houses where murders have taken place? It is very deep within the human psyche that stones, bricks, furniture, wallpaper, etc. can record negative energy and become toxic or somehow tainted. Tainted with memory. If you own a painting, then you own a fraction of the artist. It has got a bit, bit of the artist's essence inside the atomic structure. The artist is aware when work attains a soul, it becomes conscious at a subatomic level and possibly at a universal level. Serotonin paths and connections reflect the dark matter and dark energy of the universe. Everything is birth and death, yin and yang. Our universe was born from the death of the previous universe. When that previous universe was crushed into a singularity, an impossible situation made by dark energy in the previous universe collecting together so many black holes that it formed the ultimate black hole of the Big Crunch. The result of that Big Crunch was that matter was squashed into no space at all and then was spewed out in reverse at the other side of the black hole. And that, well, that was our Big Bang. So the universe as we know it is only the recent one to us anywhere. So, why have I told you all this? And why have I told you it in this strange manner? I have done so because this information hidden deep within my subconscious was given to me when my brain told me all this stuff one night I was washing up. <laughs> I wrote it up afterwards, letting go and letting the thoughts tumble unedited out of my head so that part of this talk represents subconscious writing or subconscious thinking. Dreams make us creative. We dream when we are, we are awake. This, this is particularly true of creatives. Everyone is aware of dreams being wishful moment, so as to create art, poetry, stories, paintings, film, plays and music, etc. It is necessary to dream awake. We all balance our foreconscious and our subconscious every day. We need our intuition to guide us. Every audience for every medium also brings their subconscious to bear too. For example, with every novel and radio play, each member of the audience uses their own dreaming to create the pictures that close the circle between the artist and themselves. This is important. Art is interactive. In certain individuals, particularly creatives, the balance is in favour of the subconscious. 
the predominant mechanism of new forms of reason. An example might be me mixing certain colours accurately with hardly any thought. My subconscious manifesting as intuition born of long experience. It allows me to know how to mix any given colour I need. The information is innate. Likewise, a painting or work of art is a wish fulfillment. Even when we think back to the Renaissance, for example, it is the patron or commissioner's wish that is being fulfilled by the artist and his workshop. The wish fulfillment in regards to the paintings I make goes something like this. Born of my subconscious, I see the completed painting in my mind and I wish that it existed. I make it so by using my analytical foreconscious in, in combination with my naturalistic artistic subconscious reasoning. I believe that sometimes my subconscious mind can re remind me in my dreams to create future artworks that I am not aware of as yet. Here is a good example. Uh, first, though, is the memory on which it is based. Um, I briefly met a bookshop owner in 2004 in Cartmel, Cumbria, when I was on my honeymoon. He was very memorable as he was eccentric, ancient and like a huge Churchill figure. He was just entering the 18th year of an engagement to his lady love. He was sat at his desk near the front of the shop and was working his way through several sandwiches. I rummaged around the books for ages. Um, we got chatting to the owner and he said to my wife and me, look at this, I can't even sell this because it's not politically correct. It was a little book called The Story of Little Black Sambo. You can have it, he said. The front cover was missing and I still use it as a tea mount um, <laughs> on my bedside nowadays. Anyway, that's the bit. That's the bit there that really did happen. This, this, that's true. Now for the clearly remembered dream which I had in 2010. In the dream, I was in a chaotic brick-drack shop and the proprietor of it was the bookshop owner of memory that I, uh, that I had in my dream. I examined, I examined the vases in the junk shop, but I don't see anything spectacular. Then my eyes were drawn to the only CD album in the shop because of its simple red, yellow and black cover. I picked it up and it had a joyous looking cover with a anachronistic Art Deco style woman's profile on it. Her hair was blown in the breeze, her face was bright yellow and the background was red. There was one word written in her hair, the word mad. I was intrigued to know who did the album of songs, so I flipped it over and was surprised to find that the artist was myself, Val Denham. I was so excited to find a whole album of songs that I'd written that I didn't know existed. I asked the old proprietor what the price was. It's £50, he said. Why is it so expensive, I wanted to know. Because the cover is hand-painted and there are, only, there are only 23 copies in life. Having insufficient funds, I waited in my dream until the proprietor had his back to me, and then I put the CD under my coat and showed it as I wanted it so much. I couldn't wait to hear it. You know, 
I know a lot of my stuff that I've never heard. But then I woke up and I was disappointed never to have heard such an album. Now I'm going to stop recounting the dream here, as I'm sure you know where it's going. I, the truth is that I made that CD exactly as I dreamt about it, right down to it being an edition of 23 with painted covers. It took several months to make the album, but they all went in one way. Incidentally, one of the tracks is called Hey Sigmund Freud. <laughs> <laughs> and another track is called Black Hole. Now, in 2006, I was asked to paint an image of the back uh, at the cover, front and back cover, of Blackson's Productions double CD album, The Impossibility of Silence. I asked the boys what they wanted, um, and their response was, it's up to you, Val, you'll come up with something good. So I slept on it, and I had a dream that the cover was of giant boys of different colours reclining in the hills of Yorkshire. I have a track on the album called Yorkshire Hills. The giant boys were naked with things in place, in place of the heads. Uh, the sun was eclipsed by a black spider star. I painted this image more or less exactly as I saw it in my, in my dream. And uh, now my dream is locked in time on that cover as long as a copy exists. Dreams can tell us so much. They can be psychic premonitions or mysterious divinations, remote internal supernatural visualizations of places and events that we have never even seen or experienced. An example of this dates from the late 1970s. When I came to live in London, so as to attend the Royal College of Arts, <coughs> and it was Christmas 1979, I went back to Leeds to visit my parents. My mother told me that she had a dream in which she had followed me into the art college. In her dream, she was invisible, and I was completely unaware of her presence. She followed a few yards behind me as I walked. She described the building at the back of the big museum. She described going through an arched doorway and up stone steps and up to a uniformed Scottish man who sat behind, a, sat behind glass in a kiosk. She described how I signed a big book there. And now I made the Scottish man laugh with one of the many different silly voices I greeted him with each day. She told me that I turned left through a door and went right down a big long corridor which was painted all white. Then up a narrow staircase to the top where a studio was with a big skylight for windows in its ceiling. She described the big long desk I used and the boy with glasses that I sat next to. I was astonished by her dream and the more I questioned her about it I discovered it was completely accurate. My mother had never been to London at this point in her life. She had certainly never been to the Royal College of Art. I told her that what she'd seen was completely true and accurate. And her response was, I know it is. I just needed to see where you were. A further example is, when I was a child, I would sometimes experience nightmares. Something which may be frequent in childhood as children try to work out how to deal with everyday fears. One such nightmare I had was so extreme that I had never forgotten it. In the dream, I found that my parents had gone out somewhere, leaving me alone in the house at night. I decided I should go to bed, and I went to switch the light on at the bottom of the stairs, but the bulb was dead. There was very little light, 
and at the top of the stairs it was completely dark. I felt anxious and began to panic. To my horror, I saw a young boy, a teenager, walking down the stairs towards me. He moved slowly. He was all white, his face was white. But around his eyes were black, corpse-like smudges, with his staring eyes unblinking. His hair was stuck out as if it was filled with electricity. And his hair was white too. He was very thin indeed. I was afraid that he might be dead. He came very close to me and reached out his hand to touch me. At this point in the dream, I awoke screaming and my parents ran into my bedroom to comfort me. It took a long time to calm me down. After that particular nightmare, and I, because I was so distraught, I thought on this dream for a long time afterwards. Then, when I was 19, the dream came true. One Friday night, I had been out in Bradford with my friends at the art college. We had been to our usual late night venue called Max, just down the road from the college. I was very wild in those days, and I didn't even bother with taxis old. I simply ran from Bradford to Leeds. <laughs> Do that now. <laughs> uh, I would run like a comic book character, The Flash. And when I did arrive home, it would be so late that I was careful not to wake my parents, especially my father, who I didn't get on with at the time. I would carefully unlock the door and creep upstairs to wash my face and get ready for bed. I didn't need to switch any lights on that particular night as there was a full moon which lit the bathroom and the landing. I went to the sink in front of the bathroom window. There was a mirror hung from the frame. I looked up from where I'd bent over the sink to brush my teeth and caught sight of my reflection. I was absolutely horrified. The moonlight on my face made it appear white and my makeup had all smudged blackly around my eyes and my blonde hair was stuck in all directions from my wild run and it appeared white in the moonlight. I was very thin at that age too, anorexic actually. And I realised that at 19 on this night this was the phantom from my childhood nightmare. I was my own ghost all along. I had simply seen the future when I was a child. That night I went to bed and I dreamt. I dreamt that I was walking slowly down the stairs of my childhood home and that at the bottom of the stairs was a very scared little boy with blonde hair. I wanted to comfort him. I just wanted to hold his hand and tell him not to be frightened, that everything was fine and it was only a bad dream. But as I went to placate him, I awoke. One final example of how dreams can bend time and space. Dreams are wishful fulfillments. I continued to live in London when I graduated from the Royal College of Arts. And when I was coming towards the end of my rocky first marriage, which was around the time of the millennium, I had a dream about being back in Yorkshire. In that dream, I was sat on a bench in the summertime with the sparkly stars reflected in the sunlight dancing on the palm water of Cello Dean Reservoir in Bradford. I was sat holding hands with my first girlfriend, Gail Shackleton. She'd been the first girlfriend I'd ever had when I was 17 years old and we were at Bradford Art College together. I awoke from the dream with an exquisite ethereal feeling of nostalgia for happier times. And then one day, that scene also became reality. I did sit on that very bench. It was summer and the sun was out and the water sparkled 
and I was only asked with Gail and Small. We'd been together again for 15 years this summer and married for 12 of those. <laughs> the two sides of reality, dreaming and being awake, the foreconscious and the subconscious, age and youth, love and hate, require balance. Yin and yang in my own case, and in my own case, male and female. In my dreams, I am often, but by no means always, male. This doesn't disturb me in the least as I find it so interesting, and I know that it is a psychological balancing mechanism that I need. I enjoy going to bed, and the warm and cosy drift into sleep, the twilight where I'm neither awake nor asleep, but lie somewhere on the border of both states. It induces a drugged feeling, a great sense of comfort, and a great sense of comfort takes hold of me. When I dream I am male, I don't even look as I did when I presented as male. In my dreamscapes, I am ultra-masculine, often bearded with short hair. I flirt with attractive young women and often have sexual intercourse with them. I enjoy these dreams and often find myself aroused. Strangely, if I fantasize during my waking hours, then I am always a woman and imagine myself as subservient uh, to a dominant man. When I dream I am female, I dream I am younger than I am now. <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> an attractive woman at the height of her desirability. The other aspect of my psychological profile worth mentioning is that I have quite severe obsessive compulsive disorder. One part of this is that I have extreme coniophobia, which is the fear of dust. <laughs> <laughs> These problems manifest disturbingly, often in my dreams with scenarios of plaster falling from walls, shit smeared loose seats, wet carpets and layers of dust on surfaces that I have to clean. I dream of being at art college often, even though it is 34 years since I was last in one. Often I dream it is the last day before I leave, so there is some sort of psychological connection to this within me. Between Bradford and the Royal College of Art, I was a student for seven years, so perhaps leaving college was frightening to me, as it meant I had to join the real world. Change makes me feel very insecure. I want everything to be the same forever, yet life is always about change. Daily, daily, I am aware of fluctuations between my foreign subconscious. Another offshoot of my OCD is a very mild form of Tourette's syndrome. I get hooked on nonsensical phrases, words, or noises, and snatches of song, and I am compelled to repeat them. It's very mild as it mostly takes place in the safety of our home. The interesting aspect of it is, for example, that I might start singing. Flying into the moon for no apparent reason. That's like a wash up. <laughs> then I make a game of wondering why I sang that particular song, and there is always a reason. It's like join the dots. I may have seen a bee through the window in search of pollen. A bee, a buzzy bee, Buzz Aldrin, the second man on the moon. So, flying into the moon. Every image I paint, every word I write, every song I compose has a very solid and logical foundation. It's just that I can't always see it. So what I do is I trust myself. 
I trust that dialogue between my thought and subconscious, between my sleep dreams and my awake dreams, and I always follow up my intuitions, which are the instructions that my mind is giving me. If the reason for the particular set of instructions is unfathomable, what does it matter? Your knowingness is like the mystery of the universe. What is magic other than undiscovered physics? I have spoken mostly about artist creatives, as that is my area of expertise. I do think, though, that what I've said applies across the whole of humanity. On the other side of the coin are the scientists, and I hope you see that without their dreamings, then many discoveries would never have been made. Scientists are logical creatives. Finally, as it is our 400th anniversary of Shakespeare's death, I cannot resist quoting Hesperus' most famous speech from The Tempest. Our rebels are now ended. These are our actors. As I foretold you, we're all spirits and are melted into air, into thin air. And like the baseless fabric of this vision, the cloud-capped towers, the gorgeous palaces, the solemn temples, the great globe itself, yea, all which it inherits shall dissolve. And like this unsubstantial pageant faded, leave not a rack behind. We are such stuff as dreams are made of, and our little life is rounded with a sleep. You've just heard Val Dunham presenting Proclaim Present Time Over. And now, to be back with you. Like a bullet from a gun in the setting sun, I'm looking, looking for the day when the kingdom comes. Because we can end tomorrow and an end to all the sorrow, no more famine, greed, or war, and the ending of the sores. All the people are the same. Let us try to use our brain, do not perpetrate the pain. Let us exercise the same when all troubles have been done and the war is almost won. No more blood will have to run like smoke, smoke from a gun, yo. Smoke, smoke from a gun. Have dared to traverse. Expansion. Oh, done. On a weekday, Time. no rusty projector would burn its tiny Your blue own. sun across dark and smoke-filled lines and fall upon the virgin white expanse of the two-dimensional prairie. Usually, black and white old monkeys would spring back to life after slumbering in corroding tears, often for years. What this I don't was the magic of the lost film, such relics as the triple Sometimes X, you Andy Warhol's flesh, the red shoes, a Pandora's box, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and vileness facts would spring to life once more before the film began and the screen would be painted in fresh beeswax for the purpose of catching any stray screen spirits. 
Once a Judy Garland type entity was caught like an ant jam, placed in the appropriate refrigeration unit until it grew to the size of a healthy sunflower. Oh my, how good it looked. All silver pink worms and cracks with spikes of royal amethyst spilling out of its many tiny orifices, just like it should have been, just like in olden times. And singing too, singing songs such as Somewhere over the cyclotron contained a small and then out to perform days a beeswax screen strategies. Sometimes the Queen Whirlpool would show them all this sideways just so that we could see you. both sides of the coin at the same time or project the film backwards so that by the time we'd get to we're the beginning of the film we were slightly younger in our outlooks. To be back Films with you. are much more fun when it's sunny to be back outside. With you. God knows why, but it's true. Of course, it's just a to Yushiro's sound, soundtrack and just turn the sound down on the film and see whatever happens Art in the film will see to synchronize with your alternative soundtrack. Try it. In gratitude. On weekends, good Queen Whirlpool would bloom until all the blue flower shrubs in the vicinity would begin to wilt Sleepy drifters would sliver past on classical instrumentation cellos, moaning like jealous black whales in transit from one shanty town to the next. Violins what would cut your transmitters like wine through your gut. And bass drums beat like the hearts of the depressed in the deep south of America. Good Queen Whirlpool never spoke of our place in the universe on these occasions without focus. For these were the Pinot Noir days, or the hours of the sage moon. Hangovers were placed in obelisks, and obelisks were placed in aircraft hangers. For she knew that all the pyramids are really launch pads to Orion, and that they are a mirror of constellations in the pit of black sky. The obelisks only obelisks only mirror mirror us and our excesses either in films or blues or in our dream life. Columns of glass water rise. Thank you.